Chapter Four of Fame and Fortune. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fame and Fortune, or the Progress of Richard Hunter, by Horatio Alger Jr. Chapter Four: Life at the Boarding House. Dick found his new quarters in Bleecker Street very comfortable. His room was kept in neat order. Which was more than could be said of his former home in Mott Street. There, once a fortnight was thought sufficient to change the sheets, while both boys were expected to use the same towel and make that last a week. Indeed, Mrs. Mooney would have considered the boys mighty particular if they had objected to such an arrangement. Mrs. Browning, fortunately, was very different, and Dick found nothing to complain of either in his chamber or in the board which was furnished. Dick had felt rather awkward on his first appearance at the table, but he was beginning to feel more at his ease. It was rather remarkable, considering his past life, how readily he adapted himself to an experience so different. He left the store at five o'clock and got to his boarding house in time to get ready for dinner. Dick had now got to be quite particular about his appearance. He washed his hands and face thoroughly and brushed his hair carefully before appearing at the table. Miss Peyton. The lively young lady who had already been mentioned in the first chapter sat near the boys, and evidently was quite prepossessed in their favor. Both had bright and attractive faces, though Dick would undoubtedly be considered the handsomest. He had a fresh color which spoke of good health and was well formed and strong. Henry Fosdick was more delicate in appearance; his face was thinner and rather pale. It was clear that he was not as well able to fight his way through life as Dick. But there was something pleasant and attractive in his quiet sedateness, as well as in the frank honesty and humor that could be read in the glance of our friend Dick. "Won't you and your friend stop a while and sing?" asked Miss Peyton, addressing Henry Fosdick on the evening of the second day of Dick's business career. Fosdick hesitated. "My friend has an engagement this evening," he said. "I suppose I may not ask where," said she. I am invited to spend the evening with some friends on Madison Avenue," said Dick. "Indeed," said Miss Peyton, surprised. "I wasn't aware you had such fashionable friends, or I couldn't have expected to retain you." "All my friends are not as fashionable," said Dick, wondering what the young lady would say if she could see his late fellow lodgers at Mrs. Mooney's on Mott Street. "If I can't hope to keep you this evening, you must promise to stay a while tomorrow evening." I hope to have the pleasure of hearing you sing, Mr. Hunter. When I give a concert," said Dick, "I'll be sure to let you in gratuitous." "Thank you," said Miss Peyton. "I shall remind you of it. I hope that time will come very soon, just as soon as I can engage the Academy of Music on reasonable terms. You'd better try first in the parlor here. We'll take up a contribution to pay you for your exertions." "Thank you," said Dick. "You're very kind." As the man said to the judge when he asked him if it would be perfectly agreeable for him to be hung, Miss Peyton laughed at this remark, and Dick went upstairs to get ready for his visit to Madison Avenue. Our hero felt a little bashful about this visit. He was afraid that he would do or say something that was improper, or that something would slip out which would betray his vagabond life of the streets. "I wish you was going with me, Fosdick," he said. "You'll get along well enough alone, Dick. Don't be afraid." You see, I ain't used to society, Fosdick, nor I either. But it seems to come natural to you. 
I'm always making some blunder. You'll get over that in time, Dick. It's because you have so much fun in you. I am more sober. Miss Peyton seems very amused by your odd remarks. I have to talk so. I can't think of anything else to say. There's one thing, Dick, we mustn't give up at any rate. What's that? Studying. We don't either of us know as much as we ought to. That's so. You can see how much good studying has done for you so far. If it hadn't been for that, you wouldn't have been able to go into Mr. Rockwell's employment. That's true enough, Fosdick. I'm afraid I don't know enough now. You know enough to get along very well, for the present, but you want to rise. You're right. When I get to be old and infirm, I don't want to be an errand boy. Nor I either. So, Dick, I think we should better make up our minds to study an hour or an hour and a half every evening. Of course, you can't begin this evening, but there are very few when you can't find the time. I'll send a circlet to my numerous friends on Fifth Avenue and Madison, telling them how much I am obliged for their kind invitations, but the claims of literature and science can't be neglected. Do you know, Dick, I think it might be well for us to begin French? I wonder what Johnny Nolan would say if I should inquire after his health in the Polyvoo language. It wouldn't be the first time you've astonished him. Well, Fosdick, I'm in for it if you think it's best. Now, tell me what necktie shall I wear? Dick displayed two. One was bright red with large figures, which he had bought soon after he began to board in Mott Street. The other was a plain black. You'd better wear the plain black one, Dick, said Fosdick. "'whose tastes were simpler and better than his friends. "'It seems to me it don't look handsome enough,' said Dick, "'whose taste had not yet been formed, "'and was influenced by the Bowery style of dress. "'It's more modest, and that is all the better. "'All right, I suppose you know best. "'Before I get ready, I must give a new shine to my boots. "'I'm going to make them shine so you can see your face in them. "'Better let me do that for you, Dick. "'I can do it while you're dressing.' "'and that will save time. "'No, Fosdick, I was longer in the business than you, "'and none of the boys could beat me on shines. "'I don't know but you're right, Dick. "'I freely yield the palm to you in that.' "'Dick stripped off his coat and vest "'and went to work with a will. "'He had never worked so hard for one of his old customers. "'I'm going to give it a twenty-five-cent shine,' he said. "'Just then a knock was heard at the chamber door. "'Come in,' said Dick. "'pausing a moment in his labors. "'Mr. Clifton, a fellow boarder, "'entered with a cigar in his mouth. "'Halloa,' said he. "'What's up? "'Going to the theatre, Hunter?' "'No,' said Dick. "'I'm going out to spend the evening with some friends "'up in Madison Avenue.' "'So I heard you say at the table, "'but I thought you were joking.' "'No,' said Dick. "'It's a fact.' "'Seems to me you handle the brush pretty skillfully. "'remarked Mr. Clifton. "'I should almost think you had served a regular apprenticeship at it.' "'So I have,' answered Dick. "'Didn't you ever see me when I blacked boots on Chatham Square?' <laughs> "'Good joke,' said the young man, "'who was far from supposing that Dick was in earnest. "'Oh, yes, of course I've seen you often. "'Did you make money at it?' "'I retired on a fortune,' said Dick. "'And now I've invested my capital in mercantile pursuits. "'There!' and he took up one boot and showed it to his visitor. "'Did you ever see a better shine than that?' "'No, I didn't. That's a fact,' said Clifton admiringly. "'You beat the young rascal I employ all hollow.' 
I say, Hunter, if you ever go into the shine business again, I'll be a regular customer of yours. He little thinks I've blacked his boots before now, thought Dick. All right, he said aloud. When a commercial crisis comes and I fail in business, I think I'll remember your encouraging offer and remind you of it. Have a cigar, either of you? asked Clifton, drawing out a case. Excuse my not offering it before. No, thank you, said Fosdick. Don't smoke, eh? Won't you have one, Hunter? No, thank you. Fosdick is my guardian, and he won't allow it. So, you're a good boy. Well, I wish you a pleasant evening. And Clifton sauntered out to find some other companion. He wouldn't believe I'd been a boot black, said Dick, even after I told him. I knew he wouldn't, or I wouldn't have said it. Is my hair parted straight? Yes, it's all right. How's my cravat? It'll do. You're getting to be quite a dandy, Dick. I want to look respectable. Got it right that time. When I visit Turkey, I want to look as the turkeys do. Won't you go with me? As far as the door, I mean. Yes, if you're going to walk. I'd rather. I feel kind of nervous, and perhaps I'll walk it off. The two boys got their caps and walked up Broadway on the west side. The lights were already lit, and the sharp windows made a brilliant display. At intervals, places of amusement opened wide their hospitable portals, and large placards presented tempting invitations to enter. They reached Union Square, and traversing it, again walked up Broadway to Madison Park. At the upper end of this park commences the beautiful avenue which bears the same name. Only about a half dozen blocks now required to be passed, when the boys found themselves opposite a residence with a very imposing front. This is the place, said Dick. I wish you were going in with me. I hope you will have a pleasant time, Dick. Goodbye till I see you again. Dick felt a little nervous, but he summoned up all his courage and, descending the broad marble steps, rang the bell. End of chapter four.